And we're back. Another hiatus, as Colton calls it, who is the, I'm just going to call him my executive producer, marketing director, graphic designer, uh, assistant to the Raw Sports Report. Also, Ray helps out. Of course, they were on the New Year's episode two months ago, he pointed out. So here we are, and I'm, I promise I'm going to be more um, frequent. Uh, so I, I probably, in fact, I'm going to do one two weeks in a row today, uh, and then next week, uh, I'm going to break down the March Madness bracket, um, how I see it unfolding and things of that nature. And then it'll be baseball season. So we'll have Braves baseball to talk about. Um, so good stuff. Um, today, college basketball conference tournament time. March is here. The Players' Championship is underway. So uh, golf is underway as they are in the Florida swing. Um, You know, last week was Bay Hill, uh, Valspar before that, Honda. uh, Players this week, uh, the largest purse ever in a golf tournament, $3.4 million to the winner. I think I saw something where the top 40 or something take home six figures. It's crazy, crazy for the players. Uh, So this is uh, in the middle of round two as we record this uh, rainy, yes, I said rainy for the first time, and I don't know how long, uh, afternoon here on St. Simon's Island. Thank goodness it uh, knocks out some of the pollen. Um, Lots been going on since I was last here. Talk about uh, a journey of mine that I have. been on for a long time and 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 it's been a long roller coaster and that is um a journey with um dieting and exercise and being as healthy as possible uh everything that I can control talk about that uh also uh cross something off the bucket list uh a month ago uh the Daytona 500 attended that it was really neat um been to Charlotte, been to Atlanta, been to Talladega, uh, been to Darlington, but never the Daytona 500. Uh, so that was really cool. We'll talk about that. And also college basketball, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Oh, goodness, that's that could be a whole episode in itself. Um, uh, but first, a little personal message. Um, uh, it's been a, uh, kind of a somber week here. Um, my wife's grandmother, Ann Hodnett, 98 years old, uh, passed away on Saturday night. The funeral services were held on Tuesday. And, um, of course I was late, I guess, coming into her life or, um, uh, coming into her life about, I guess, Six six years ago, um, when I, when Kelly and I came into each other's lives, um, dating and and all that um, before we married in 2020, pre COVID, um, <laughs> but um, Mimi, as she was called by everyone, uh, pretty much in the family, 98 years old, the youngest of eight siblings, and numerous. Um, Relatives came to town uh, Sunday and Monday um, as she passed away Saturday night after uh, six weeks of hospice care at home. That's how she wanted. She didn't want to be in a hospital, didn't want to be at a facility. She wanted to be at home. So she was, and it was a long six weeks with hospice care, um, a couple of false alarms, as Kelly and I kind of joked about. Um, tongue-in-cheek, of course, um, but then finally Saturday night, uh, she she went on to be uh, welcomed into heaven by her husband, Roy, and her son, Kelly. Um, a remarkable, a remarkable lady, um, probably the most remarkable lady I've ever had in my life, and I'm very privileged and blessed to have had a short window of time with her. Um, since she, I guess she was 93 (laughs) 
and uh, she acted up until you know the last couple of months um, like a, a 73 year old or a 70 uh, 68 year old whatever very active cooking still going to the grocery store uh, still taking care and doting on everybody in her family uh, so seven grandchildren including Kelly and her brother Luke um, Let's see how many great grandchildren: um, Colton, Jenna, Ray, Camden, Anna, Bryn, Hugo, uh, and Felix. So uh, uh, five, six, seven-ish great grandchildren. But the amount of, uh, as I said, one of um, eight brothers and sisters. So she had a numerous, numerous amount of nieces, nephews great nieces, great nephews, uh, the family just flocked to her. And being the last living of eight brothers and sisters, um, the family, as I said, the family just flocked to her as she was uh, the matriarch of, of three generations, four generations, really, uh, four generations. Um, so we laid it to rest on Tuesday, a very tough day for everyone, but we know that she is no longer hurting in a better place and still watching down upon us and sending us uh, lessons already and along the way. So just wanted to mention that before we get into uh, anything else. Um, Kelly's cousin Bree has a podcast as well. Um, that uh, Mimi was on back, I think, in December. Um, so that, that was uh, that was uh, pretty good that she was uh, able to do that, and it, it was it is uh, it, it's fantastic to uh, to listen to if you want to, uh, you know, hear that and and hear the lady that is uh, go to. Pause to go podcast. Brie Luck is um, my uh, my wife's cousin. Pause to go podcast, um, and in on Apple Podcast and on iTunes, and it was let's see, um, let's see which episode I'm I'm just scrolling here in, in the library. Uh, well, where was it? Was it, uh, well, anyway, pause to go, uh, hang on, I'm going to find it. Uh, I'm going to find it here. Um, well, there we are, there we are. December 5th, December 5th, episode 10, um, The Truth About Time, Grief, and the Healing Powers of Kittens. So Mimi shares her perspective on Bree's podcast, uh, Pause to Go. So look that up if you want to hear a fantastic story uh, about uh, Mimi and uh, hear her on the air, so to speak. Let's get into it. Uh, so Daytona 500. Um, the Super Bowl of racing, and of course, they have their Super Bowl at the beginning of the season, and it was fantastic. Uh, my my buddy Andy Brown uh, got us pit passes from a friend of his that works for ARCA. So Andy, Johan, and I, along with Andy's son Austin, packed up on a Saturday before and headed down uh, to Daytona, played a little golf. Um, Saturday afternoon, had dinner, spent the night uh, in Ponce Inlet at uh, my mother-in-law's condo, and then uh, hit the hit the racetrack on Sunday. And uh, man, it was uh, it was something. Uh, being down in the pits during the race uh, was something that was beyond my wildest dreams. Being able to walk on the racetrack pre-race. Being able to walk through the pits and the garages pre-race and seeing the preparations and the equipment and and everything, the cars, 
uh, all like that was was amazing. And uh, and then during the race, the speed, the noise, of course, earplugs were a must. Uh, but it was fantastic and um, a good race, fun race. Um, always been a fan of racing, uh, you know, an, a, a peripheral fan, uh, I guess you could say. From the outside looking in, I will, I'll watch the Daytona 500. I have watched a couple of races since then. I watched a little bit of Las Vegas on Sunday, a little bit of uh, uh, Fontana the week after Daytona. Actually listened to uh, NASCAR on XM Radio for a little bit just to, to listen to that. And then when they get into the meat of things uh, and some of the old school, you know, real racetracks that I like to call them because uh, Darlington, North Wilkesboro, Martinsville, Bristol, Atlanta, Talladega, Charlotte, those uh, in the old school NASCAR uh, will be fun. But saw a lot of people, saw Bill Elliott, my hero uh, in terms of NASCAR, Michael Waltrip doing some TV, saw him. Uh, Charlotte Flair was there. So two uh, mixes of two of my favorite things, wrestling and uh, and, and, and then also that NASCAR. Uh, and, of course, the current racers. Michael Jordan was there. <laughs> so you mix Michael Jordan, NASCAR, and Charlotte Flair, and that pretty much sums up me. Um, NASCAR was it, being third on that list with uh, Ric Flair, Charlotte Flair wrestling, and, and Michael Jordan at the very, very top. Didn't get close enough to Michael. I did get a picture from about a 100 feet away. Uh, but by the time I could make it down there to the pits, he was back in his bus. But um, to say I was within 100 feet of Michael Jordan, uh, you know, not in, in a basketball game. Well, I think the one time I saw him play was his last game against the Hawks the first time when he was with the Bulls uh, in 90, I guess, 98. It was in the Georgia Dome, and I was much farther away than 100 feet. From, from Michael Jordan. Um, so a great day, a uh, fantastic experience to be in the pits. I don't know if I'll ever be able to go to a race and sit in the stands again, but uh, I'll certainly try, uh, certainly try. Another thing to talk about um, before I get into uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels this year, uh, it's WrestleMania season. Speaking of my love of professional wrestling since I was – I don't know, seven years old. Kelly thinks it's odd. It's just something that I've always, always loved. And, um, you know, I follow a lot of things on Twitter, a lot of boards, mostly the NWA, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling from back in the day, worldwide, you know, the the old school stuff, WWE, when it was WWF. It's, it's hard to watch sometimes now because it's just not as good. But the, I will say the storyline that they are cultivating for this WrestleMania with the bloodline is very fascinating and very well done so far, I think. Uh, we'll see how that plays out um, tonight, I guess, on SmackDown and then in the, the future weeks of, of Monday Night Raw, bringing John Cena back. You know, everybody was saying it was going to be Rock and Roman Reigns in WrestleMania in Hollywood. That is not going to happen. So we think, uh, unless it's just a huge swerve where the Rock shows up at the end to lay the smack down on the bloodline and get them back right. I did see something on Twitter earlier this week that, that Stone Cold is now maybe confirmed for WrestleMania again this year. Of course, last year he made a return against in a, in a pseudo match with Kevin Owens. Um, so it is good to see John Cena back. He'll take on Austin Theory for the United States title. I really don't see them putting the belt on John Cena just because that's not something that is long-lasting, I wouldn't think. But uh, I'll look for Cena to be able to, to put on a good show. The Cody Rhodes angle with Roman Reigns seems forced, really. Um, I felt last year bringing Cody Rhodes back to WrestleMania in his first match in the w back in the WWE after leaving AEW was way too uh, predictable. 
Um, and then how he and Seth Rollins went out. They had a great match. Don't get me wrong. It was a fantastic match, but I just think that Cody Rhodes has not been used well in his almost year back in the WWE. Of course, part of that time was, was due to injury and the pectoral muscle tear that he had to come back from. But, you know, all of a sudden, Worst kept secret in wrestling last year. Cody Rhodes is back at WrestleMania now in what will be really his first big match back after the injury. They're going to throw him right into, I mean, they put him at number 30 in the Royal Rumble. That was predictable. And now here they are. It was predictable he was going to win the Royal Rumble. Everything uh, around the Cody Rhodes angle since he's come back has been predictable. And so that's kind of maybe they're setting us up for a swerve. Uh, on night two in Hollywood. I don't know, but everything so far with Cody Rhodes has been predictable since he came back, and, and that just doesn't sit. I just, I just don't like that. That doesn't sit well. Uh, but who knows? You know, Cody Rhodes is a great talent. Don't get me wrong, and he did some great things in AEW, and, and apparently AEW had a, a pay-per-view this past weekend, and uh, MJF and um, not Moxley, Daniel Bryan, uh, I can't, Brian Danielson, his real name, uh, went 65 minutes in an Ironman match. That's unheard of in this day and age. Um, that's unheard of since the mid-80s, really. Mid to late 80s when Ric Flair was the NWA world champion and he would go 60 minutes eight times a week uh, at house shows um with the the star in that territory or, or the star of the the baby face of the day um so that's unheard of for a match to go 65 minutes in this day and time so uh fantastic match there i watched a little bit of it on youtube after the fact um which was phenomenal uh what they do what they do is is unbelievable and i know it's scripted um but still, uh, I would never use the word fake because there's no way that, you know, when you cut yourself with your own accord with a razor blade, that's that that's not fake. And dropping to the floor and being hit on the back with a chair and whatnot, you can't fake that. But yes, it is scripted and predetermined, but, um, you know, still has some real aspects to it. So WrestleMania season in full bore, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with the um, also Seth Rollins and Logan Paul is an interesting angle. And what are they going to do with Bray Wyatt? I mean, uh, they just keep teasing and teasing and teasing it. I don't really understand that, but Bray Wyatt is a fantastic talent. I think maybe the most talented uh, performer on the roster at WWE right now, outside of maybe Roman Reigns uh, and Cody Rhodes. But uh, Kevin Owens, I mean, Ray Wyatt's fantastic. It's just what character are they going to focus on and use going forward in, in WrestleMania? Uh, we're 18 minutes into this, and I haven't really dove into the North Carolina Tar Heels yet. Of course, back on an earlier episode, uh, we had the uh, 2005 national champion David Noel on uh, in the preseason talking about how both excited we were with four starters coming back from a national runner-up team, the team that led the national championship game by 15 points last year. Lose Brady Manick, pick up Pete Nance, uh, a year older Puff Johnson, Jalen Washington, who looked to be a fantastic freshman, and uh, a couple other freshmen as well. The the McCoy kid from Virginia was a nice role piece, we thought. So the sky was the limit, and pretty much the coronation was basically happening in October and November with the Sports Illustrated cover, preseason number one, starting out 5-0. and Um not really in convincing fashion, uh, and then uh, losing two in a row, or losing, excuse me, four in a row. Iowa State was a head-scratcher that, uh, I think, what, triple overtime, quadruple overtime game to Alabama, which 
not a bad loss now because Alabama is the number one team or is going to be uh, one of the number one seeds come Sunday. Uh, bad loss now, but not bad then to num- then number 10 Indiana. And then Virginia Tech, uh, a loss on the road at Blacksburg to open conference play. And you were like, okay, what's going on here? Uh, scored 65 points, losing to Iowa State. A lot of points, 101, losing to Alabama, 65 again to Indiana, 72 to Virginia Tech. And just never got on track. They did take care of Georgia Tech, who had fired, who incidentally fired their coach today. Josh Pastner is gone after seven seasons in Atlanta. The ACC title and NCAA tournament appearance, the one ACC title out of nowhere, uh, has run out. The luck with that has run out. So Josh Pastner is gone, so there'll be a new coach in Georgia Tech. Also, Georgia Southern's coach was let go yesterday. So two new basketball coaches in the state of Georgia uh, next year. It'll be interesting to see who gets, who Georgia Tech goes and gets. But um, another win over the Citadel and then a win over Ohio State by five, beat Michigan, and then the head scratchers again. You score 74 points on the road, lose to Pitt by two in a game that you uh, were leading by six with about two minutes to go. You beat a good they better Wake Forest team. You beat Notre Dame. Then you go on the road, lose to Virginia without Armando Baycott, who again uh, has uh, tweeted last night. The season's over. Luckily, I don't have to hear or ever utter the words or hear the words. Baycott ankle injury ever again in a sentence. It's been a common thread from last year in the championship game to against Virginia back in uh, January to um, last night. It's just Armando Baycott's a very good player. He's done a lot, um, but it's it, it. The curtain has closed on his career and and that and with that with good reason and that's that's fine and you get a, you win Louisville Boston College beat NC State and Syracuse so you're feeling pretty good uh at you know three losses in the league and then you stumble your toe again at home against Pitt in a game that you had the lead with under two minutes to go then you go on the road and you only score 57 points at Duke Really kind of get blown out at Wake Forest. It was 92-85, but it was not that close. Wake had a working 15- to 20-point lead the majority of that second half, and they just got hot at the end. You beat a Clemson team that could end up winning the ACC this weekend. Uh, Clemson is peaking at the right time. They blew the doors off NC State last night, and I see them beating Virginia tonight to get to the championship game. And then you drop another two straight at home against Miami where you were really kind of in that one. But, again, offensive woes at the end of the game. Uh, You lose by eight. Miami could win the league. I think it's going to be Clemson and Miami tomorrow night uh, in Greensboro for the championship. Uh, Miami is really, really good. They were an elite eight team last year. Jim Laranega does a fantastic job coaching that basketball team. Jim Laranega is a fantastic basketball coach, and he has been for a long time. Remember George Mason back in 06 that uh, he took to the Final Four. Lose to State uh, on the road in a game that you really never were in, and then you needed to win a bunch in a row. And you beat Notre Dame, and you beat Virginia at home in the best shooting performance of the year, although you still only scored 71 points, but you hit 14 threes in the first half. And then you win a game that you needed to badly against Florida State on the road, a bad Florida State team. And then you come home and you you got Duke on senior night, and you can't finish. Lose by five. Score 57 points in both games against Duke. And this Duke team is not that good. This is not a Duke team of Coach K of of the years where he would win a national championship or anything like that. This is not that team, although they are getting a little bit better. They blew blew out Pittsburgh, but I still don't think Pittsburgh was very good. And then Boston College was not good. You blow them out on Wednesday, and then you run into Virginia last night, and you cut it to two, and you just could not score, and they go on a 9-0 run and win it. 
And now you're sitting there. Every bracketologist, Joe Lenardi and CBS and everybody you look at says, North Carolina's first four out. Not going to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, 20 and 13, 11 and 9 in the ACC, 12 and 10 if you count the the, the conference tournament games, but not going to get into the tournament. And now you have Armando Baycott last night. You have other players in the post post game press conference. Armando Baycott saying to reporters, "We just were not that good. We are not that good." This is one player removed from a national championship runner-up team. Brady Manick. Was Brady Manick that much better than Pete Nance? Yes, absolutely he was. Absolutely. But was Caleb Love better last year than he was this year? Yes, absolutely. R.J. Davis, I think, was the only player. Leaky Black showed improvement offensively. I'll give him that. Baycott was about the same. He got all the accolades in the preseason. He got, what, first-team All-ACC. But that's where that's going to stop, basically because of his double-doubles, when he was healthy and when they would get the ball into him. Caleb Love was not good. But you think back, you know, during the regular season last year, until they got hot in the NCAA tournament, they weren't that good of a team to begin with. But then they got hot. Brady Manick was the glue. And Pete Nance was terrible. Pete Nance was terrible. Um, and I don't know if because – I don't know if he uh, – let me rephrase that. He was terrible in this offense on this team. I think he has some some positives. He has some negatives. When he got cold, he got cold. Um, when he was on, he played okay. When Brady Manick was on, he'd, shoot, he'd score 30, 25. Pete Nance could not go out and score 25 points anytime. So what's next? Do they accept the NIT bid with this group? I don't think so. I, I just don't think so. I mean, what's the point of, of of accepting the NIT? I think what 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 has to start, it starts at the top with Hubert Davis and the coaching staff, and they have to figure out an offensive game plan, an offensive system, an offensive identity. Because there were so many times that you did not see, I mean, this North Carolina team got out-rebounded all the time, got beat on fast break points, got beat in the turnover game. That is not North Carolina basketball. North Carolina basketball is out-rebounding your opponent, out-offensive rebounding your opponent, out-winning the transition battle and out-running, and then also winning the turnover battle. This team did none of that, and it showed. And late-game offensive opportunities or late-game offense was non-existent. They would go late-game minutes without scoring baskets, missing layups, missing free throws. Last night, they missed 10 layups, missed five three free throws when they were down two possessions. So, I mean, you can't do that, and especially against a Virginia team where you're not going to get that many possessions. So a lot of questions are going to be asked, and a lot of questions need to be answered. But it's my opinion, and I don't know if it's a popular one, that North Carolina does not need to go to the NIT with this collection of players. R.J. Davis, yes. R.J. I, I would watch R.J. Davis play, and I hope he comes back. I hope he and Puff Johnson come back, Jalen Washington, the other freshman. Uh, but to say I'm going to miss Armando Baycott and his attitude here lately, I'm not. I'm not going to miss Caleb Love's attitude. He was ne- he, when he at the, the few times in a game when he was in the offense, involved in the offense, they were very good. He was very good, but when he would come down and shoot a three from a logo or shoot a three out of nowhere before the rest of the offense was down and, and be able to offensive rebound or you know position offensive rebound, no, no, thank you. So we will see. Um, going to be interesting. The NCAA tournament should be fun. I think this this thing is so wide open um, right now. Um, there are a number of teams, I feel, that can win the NCAA tournament this year. 
If you look at Joe Lenardi's bracket watch, Carolina has now dropped to from the first four out to the next four out. So it's not a chance. Vanderbilt is fun to watch. Vanderbilt plays Kentucky tonight in the SEC tournament. They need to win that game. I think if they win that game, they jump into the night last four in now that Pitt has lost in the quarters of the ACC. I don't think Pitt deserves to get in. Um, the first four out, Oklahoma State, Clemson. Clemson can get in with a win tonight, I think. Nevada, Wisconsin. Next four out, North Carolina, Oregon, Vanderbilt, Michigan. Vanderbilt with a win against Kentucky. I think they're in no matter what happens on semifinal Saturday in Nashville. Pittsburgh is in trouble. Um, Utah State, I think they solidified themselves last night by winning. Mississippi State took a hit today, but I think they'll stay in as they got kind of blown out by Alabama. But Alabama is one of the number one seeds, if not going to end up the number one overall seed. Uh, so you got Kansas, Alabama as your one seed, Houston and UCLA. I think those are cemented no matter what happens this weekend in the conference tournaments. Your two seeds, Arizona, Purdue, Baylor, and Texas. Now, those are all up for grabs. I don't know what happens if Baylor and Texas face each other in the Big 12. I don't know what happens if UCLA loses uh, to Arizona. They could swip, flip-flop, even though I just said that you know, I think UCLA's safe. Um, Gonzaga's a three seed, which Gonzaga, always a joke to me. They don't play anybody, but they get high seeds and they're ranked in the top 25. They don't play anybody. And uh, I, I would be very surprised that they ever won a national championship. Of course, we saw what happened you know, a couple of years ago when North Carolina beat their best team ever, so they said. Um, shout out to the Furman Paladins. The Furman Paladins right now, first time in the NCAA tournament since 1980. 1980. The Paladins, of course, lost on a buzzer beater from three-quarter court or from, ha- uh, from half court last year in the Southern Conference Championship game, the Chattanooga. They avenged that loss and finally got over the hump to make the NCAA tournament. They're slated as a 14 seed against Tennessee and Greensboro. I like the location of Greensboro. I do not like the matchup <laughs> playing Tennessee. Uh, but congratulations to the Furman Paladins for making the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1980. Um, they've won a couple of regular season conference championships, but never uh, the tournament since 43 years ago. Um, so we'll see how that shakes out. NC State, a 10 seed. That's interesting. Kennesaw State here from in Georgia. Congratulations to them. They are in the big dance for the very first time in their program, I think two years ago, two years ago, they were one in 29, one in 29, two years ago. And now they're dancing uh, in the NCAA tournament. Um, so the closest regional to us here in South Georgia, I guess, would be Birmingham or Greensboro. And then, uh, well, Orlando, uh, but I don't really want to go watch Miami, Drake, Indiana, uh, Yale, TCU, VCU, Virginia, Iona. Love NCAA tournament, though. Birmingham's hosting, and then the the regionals are in Louisville, Kansas City, New York, and Las Vegas. Uh, and the final four, where's the final four? Huh, I don't know. Oh, Houston. Houston, yes. I'm glad I didn't buy tickets because Houston is a city that will ever haunt me. Uh, and that probably is why Carolina's not good this year because the final four was going to be in Houston. Of course, Houston was the site of Villanova winning at the at the buzzer in 2016. Houston was the side of the Atlanta Falcons blowing a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. Yeah, Houston's not my favorite place. Uh, but, I mean, Thursday and Friday of NCAA tournament, the best two days of sports every year. I mean, we are, folks, we are in it. We are right here in, in my opinion, the Best time of year for sports because we have conference basketball tournaments right now, this weekend. Next weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, first and second rounds in the NCAA tournament. Following weekend, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Major League Baseball, opening day. The Final Four, WrestleMania, and then Masters. 
Folks, it doesn't get any better than this. I know, I know, I know. People are going to say, oh, Bowl Week is great, or the BCS is great, or FBS is great, or College Football Playoff, whatever they call it. Bowl Week does not hold a candle to the next four weeks of sports in this country. College football season does not hold a candle to the next four weeks of sports in this country. NFL playoffs does not hold a candle. This is it. We are in the prime sports time of the year. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. There's basketball on right now. There's basketball on till 2 in the morning tonight. There's conference championship games and semifinals tomorrow. Conference championship games on Sunday leading into the selection show. And for the and I will say I will do it again. I've done it every Sunday night of Selection Sunday since 1987. I've had a legal pad, and I've written in the brackets on my legal pad every Selection Sunday night since 1987, and I will be right in front of the television this Sunday at 6 o'clock with Jim Nance and whoever else they throw up there next to him to reveal the brackets. And I'll do it again, and then I'll fill it out one time all the way through how I feel like it's going to go. And it'll be a little bit <laughs> this year. It's going to be a lot more objective uh, than in years past when uh, when North Carolina not being in the tournament. It'll be a little more objective and a little more realistic because I always somehow manage to have the Tar Heels in the final four of my bracket regardless. Uh, but they will not be in there this year. And then I will go with it. That will be my one bracket that I fill out on that legal pad. I'll transfer it to a printed sheet on Monday. And then I'll put it into how many ever tournament pools I enter. And then I'll lose because I've never won one. But it's a lot of fun. And then Thursday and Friday, you know, it starts with Tuesday. There's four games on Tuesday night. And then it starts on Thursday with, uh, what, 16 games Thursday, 16 games Friday, eight games Saturday, eight games Sunday. The two best days of, of, of sports. And then we're in the best four-week run of sports in this country each and every year. The uh, Players' Championship, I mentioned it. It's going on right now. Um, Let's see. We are in the middle of round two as we are recording. And as of right now, it's Christian, of course, Busendalt, of course, the person that's leading, I can't hardly pronounce. He's eight under. Svensson's eight under. Ben Griffin from St. Simon's. And Sea Island at six under in third, tied with Lee and Colin Morikawa. Pendrith at five under. Scotty Scheffler, who I think will probably win this thing on Sunday afternoon. He's five under. Will Gordon, another Sea Island, St. Simons Island guy. He's four under, tied for eighth. Jason Day, where's he been? Jason Day, four under par. Victor Hovland, four under par. Uh, let's see, the next, uh, Ricky Fowler hanging in at two under par. He's won this tournament before. Keith Mitchell, another Sea Island guy, even par. Kisner, another uh, St. Simon Sea Island guy, even par. Patton Kazire, one over par. Uh, he's done, tied for 53. So that's going to be, looks like the cut line's two over. Seb Straka underneath the cut line, uh, another Sea Island guy. Uh, also... Brian Harmon, three over, still with nine holes to play. He can still make the cut. Matt Kuchar, formerly of St. Simons, now lives in Florida. Grayson Sig, four under, uh, four over, uh, only through eight. He's a, a, a Georgia boy, Sea Island guy, great guy. Uh, see him a number of times a week when he's home um, in the workout facility at Sea Island. Four over for him. He has an opportunity to make a move and, and still make the cut. JT Poston as well, and Andrew Novak, uh, a Sea Island guy as well. John Rahm withdrew two under par. He withdrew um, because of an illness. So that's interesting to see. Now, finally, as we wrap up, I mentioned earlier um, a lifelong battle, a lifelong roller coaster uh, that I've been on in my life of trying to eat healthy, trying to be healthy, trying to exercise. And I don't really put this out very often. I don't, I don't post pictures on Facebook of progress. I don't put it on Twitter. I don't put it on Instagram. 
Um, but I am very proud and I want to share a little bit of the story because I never thought here I am at age, almost age 46. I've done it before. I did it four years ago where I lost, uh, well, first of all, I did it back in 2006 after Jenna was born. I lost a ton of weight. I was 298. I got down to 195. Um, and then ate my way back up. That's the, that's the cycle. I can lose a bunch, eat my way back up, lose a bunch, eat my way back up, lose a bunch, eat my way back up. So I did that in 06, got down to like 195, something like that. Did it again in, uh, I think, 2012, was 240 or so, 250, got back down to 197, ate my way back up, uh, and then kind of hovered around 220, 230, 240. And then uh, 2018, no, 2019, yeah, end of the end of 2018, end of 2019, I think I was 248, got down to 182. And then when we got married in, that was uh, the summer of, oh, the summer of 19, I got down to 182. And then we got married in 20, uh, January, 2020, I had gotten back up a little bit around probably 200. Uh, and then COVID hit and I went and I, you know, COVID, you were sitting at home, you had nothing to do, but eat two and three times a week. Yeah. Gyms were closed. I'm not going to work out at home. I'm not a home workout guy. Got a Peloton, wrote it maybe 50 times in three years. You know, I have to physically go somewhere in order to get a good workout. Yes, I rode my bike a lot during COVID, but it wasn't anything like, it was like five miles, five miles, two or three times a week. Not enough to burn enough calories versus the the amount of food and, and meals. Not a lot of food, but you know, I'd eat a big lunch. Oh, well, well, what are we doing now? Well, we watched TV. We watched Tiger King. We watched blah, blah, blah on Netflix. Well, let's have an afternoon snack. Okay, let's eat dinner. Okay. So COVID hit, uh, I think at the end of COVID, it was about, I was back up to like 220, 225. Kind of hovered around there uh, for the next couple of years. Then last year, 2022 got to 245, and I said, okay, that's it. That's it. Uh, So last March 8th, I was 245, and Kelly and I started, joined this Facebook group uh, called M23, I think is what it is, E2M. Some of her friends were doing it. Basically, what it is, um, it's a fasting it's an eight-week program where you fast uh, until lunchtime. Then you eat six ounces of protein, uh, a green vegetable, and a healthy fat, avocado, handful of nuts, blah, blah, blah. We did that for eight weeks. I went from 245 to 217. Then summer hit, kind of fluctuated, 220, 230, back and forth. Um you know, got back on in the fall. We did another eight week round. I got down to like 220. Never could really get under 220. Uh, January, uh, March, you know, then here comes, you know, fall. It's tough for me to eat healthy on the road for football. Uh, doing high school and college with George Southern and Richmond Hill, it's hard to eat healthy on the road. That was always my excuse. It was a crutch, it's an excuse. Then, oh, well, then here's Thanksgiving and Christmas. You can't diet then. So January came, I was like, all right, I'm going to start back. We did another kind of eight week thing. I kind of got halfway back on it. And and mind you, I was working out the whole time during all this. I still went to the gym five days a week, still did workouts, but was not eating right. Was not eating well all the time, all the time. Sometimes, yes, like I would do good three days a week and then the weekend hits and we go out to eat and I would blow it. So hovering around 220, 225, March 8th of this year. No, 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 excuse me. January, uh, second week of January. No, 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 we went to Disney. Yeah, second week of Disney, uh, of of January, we went to Disney. So that Monday, I said, all right, this is it. I was 242 again. I had gone back up from 2, no, 232. 
I'd gotten back 230. No, 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 235. Sorry. 235 the Monday uh, before. So I guess Monday, January 8th or something like that. Because we went to Disney Martin Luther King weekend. So Monday, January 8th, I got on the scale 235. I was like, all right, that's it. That's it. So I started then 235 and started fasting, exercising still five, six days a week, burning four to four to 800 calories in a workout, depending on the day. And lunch has been six ounces of, uh, of meat, green vegetable, fruit, an apple, applesauce, tangerine, clementine, whatever, and a handful of nuts or a, tall, a chopped salad, a chef salad, something small. Dinner has been much of the same, piece of meat, chicken, uh, pork chop, lean ground beef patty, vegetable, and, and almonds, and I stuck to it. No cheat meal. None. Because the first time I was like, when I did this E2M, I said, okay, we get a, a cheat meal. Well, I found out that cheat meals, they call them reward meals on the Facebook group. Reward meals don't really reward you with anything because it just gives you that taste of what you're missing. And, and you're if you eat clean for five to six to seven days and then you eat bad, you're going to feel bad, first of all. And then you're going to gain a couple of pounds and it's going to take more time to get that off. So 235, January 8th, this past, this morning, 192. So 235, this morning, 192. And I haven't really had a cheat meal. Um, my cheat meal now, <laughs> we went out to dinner two nights ago. We split shrimp scampi and we split a Caesar salad. And that's the, that was it. Um, haven't had any bread. I've had a couple of croutons on a salad here or there. Hadn't had any sweets. Don't miss it. Haven't had any bread. Don't miss it. Hadn't had pasta. No rice. Don't really miss that. I think I've had quinoa a couple of times or something like a healthy grain. Well, I'll take that back. Haven't had any, any, any like biscuits or rolls or anything. I've had some of the uh, Mike's Power Protein bread. Shameless plug there for, for Mike's Power Protein bread. Um, because you do need some carbs to sustain the energy. Now, my blood sugar, I do think, dropped a couple of times where I felt lightheaded by not eating enough. So you can't get in that. You can't get into that where you don't eat enough. But you have to eat enough of what is good for you and what is right. And so I up my protein and a lot of egg whites, a lot of chicken sausage, a lot of deli turkey meat, uh, the fresh cut, not the prepackaged stuff, a lot of... Um, Air fry broccoli, air fry Brussels sprouts, air fry carrots, a lot of tangerines and clementines, a lot of apples, applesauce, a lot of almonds. And I feel great. Went to the doctor back um, into February for a physical. Last year, uh, all my numbers were crazy. I was, like I said, 240, I think 244 when I went to the doctor last year. And then I was, at that time, 201. When I went, and like I said, 192 this morning. And yes, I am one of those that obsess over the scale, which I know I'm not supposed to, but I do. It's just, it's just a measuring stick for me to see what I did that day. I measure before I go to bed, and I measure the next morning. Because I can kind of predict, when I measure at night, I can when I weigh at night, I can kind of predict what I'll be the next day um, within a half a pound or so. So I obsess over the scale, and I know you're not supposed to. You're supposed to weigh once a week, but that's for the birds. I mean, come on. Who's going to weigh once a week when you're on a diet? But um, anyway, went to the doctor. He was very impressed. All the numbers were better. Blood pressure was better. Glucose was, glucose was better. Triglycerides, 245 last year, 81 this year. Cholesterol was better. Everything was better across the board uh, because last year he told me you're a walking case of type 2 diabetes just your the way you are I mean you're five six you're not getting any taller to 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 stretch anything out to make room it's all going right there so I've had to change clothes sizes and everything else uh, but the reason I say all this and I'm not trying to toot my own horn because I'm not going to put a picture on Facebook I'm not going to put a picture on Twitter I'm not going to put a picture on Instagram of where I was this time last year versus 
where I am this year. I have those pictures, but they're going to live in my phone and send to my closest friends and family just to say, hey, look, you know, because I am going to toot my horn there, but I'm not going to put it on there on social media. I don't need to do that. And the reason I'm saying this now is if you're listening and you have been on a roller coaster like me, you can do it. The first two weeks is awful. I'm not going to lie because you're hungry all the time. But after two weeks, you get used to it. And then after that two weeks, you see the progress in the mirror. You see the progress on the scale. And that is what keeps you motivated to eat the small meals. And, you know, we went to a place two nights ago. I said that a year ago, six months ago, four months ago, I would have, and it's a, it's a t- kind of a tapas appetizer place with some entrees. I would have sat down and the table, the table ordered, uh, there were eight of us, the table ordered four appetizers, and I would have gone through and I would have had half of each of something of those. That The other night I did not. I had a couple of pork rinds, which were carbs, uh, no, no carbs, protein. And I would have had a full entree with a salad and everything else. Now I don't feel that way. I've gone to functions. There were functions, uh, dinners uh, uh, surrounding the, the funeral of, of, of Mimi that I talked about earlier. Um, there was a big dinner with a big, beautiful prime rib with all the fixings. I mean, you know, everything with it, green bean casserole, mashed potatoes, I ate before I went. I've, I've, I've turned the corner. I wouldn't used to do that. I wouldn't used to do it. Even when I was dieting, I would not eat before I went to, some, to a function. I have to go to a function tonight, and I will probably eat before I go. Um, and it, it, that's, the, that's the lifestyle change that you have to put into place in, in your mental capacity and your mental strength, you know, and I've gotten stronger physically, leaner physically, but it's the mental aspect of dieting that I think is something that I was missing, um, to not put yourself in positions where you fall off. And so if you're going through this struggle, you know, if you want to reach out and talk, I'll talk you through it. I'm not going to, you know, talk down to you or talk better than you or anything like that, but if you need advice, I can tell you how I did it and how it worked for me. I'm not saying it'll work for you, but I'm, it's how it works for me and the progress I've made mentally being on a diet and being healthy versus um, the actual eating part. And I think until you hone in on that mental part, you're going to fall off and you're going to stay on the roller coaster that I was on for all my life. So, and I'm not sure I won't fall off again. You know, I, I worry about that. Um, but I think I'm in a better place than I ever had been before when I, when I dieted and watched my weight and watched what I ate than I ever have been. So, anyway, next week, yes, next week I'll be back and uh, we'll preview the NCAA tournament, March Madness coming up. Um, I will go through my bracket step-by-step, game-by-game, all the way till they crown a champion in Houston. We'll talk about the end of the players, and we'll probably take another look down the road of WrestleMania. So, as always, thanks for stopping by and listening. I appreciate it. This has been the Ross Sports Report.